Well, how are we doing this morning? Doing good? All right. Oh, that's my little nephew, Walter. Hey, bud. I love you, man. Oh, I should probably then, if I'm saying hi to you, I should say hi to my own kids at home. Theodore Lee, I love you. <laughs> um, anyway, well, good morning. Um, it's fall, right? The fall season. Although fall started like a month ago when pumpkin spice latte everything happened, right? Is that true? But I think we're kind of in that fall season, which I love fall. There's football, wait, kind of football. <laughs> All these things of fall kind of happen. I was actually at Lowe's on Wednesday, um, the Home Depot, you know, Lowe's. They had all their Christmas stuff out right now, just saying. Literally, their whole garden center was an animatronic, like, Santa Claus thing. I was like, wow, it's already here, like, Christmas is here, which I'm looking forward to, aren't you guys? Like, with all this stuff, it's like, let's just get to Christmas, let's just get to a holiday time, all that good stuff. Well, um, we are in, like Elsa said, our third week of our Session 2 journal in the study of 1 Corinthians. So that's chapter 8 is what we're, is what we're going to be talking on. And actually this morning, I'm going to read the entire chapter, all 13 verses. It's really not that long. I think it's just good to get the whole picture, the whole context of what Paul is talking about um, here in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians. Um, but I also want to just re-mention, um, Pastor Mark talked about it really early as he welcomed us all to service, is let's be using these journals not only as an individual devotion style, but let's really connect with those people that are already kind of in our life that we do life with. Um, just the last couple of Thursdays, um, a small group of dudes and, and I, we meet up at West Plains Roasters. We have some coffee, and we talk about Scripture. We talk about what we're getting out of our study in 1 Corinthians. And so I want to encourage you all, let's make that a habit. Just reach out to those people that you're already doing life with, that you're already connecting with, that you're already video chatting with, whatever it is. And let's make that a habit, and let's allow the Holy Spirit to start to just reveal what's being spoken to us so we can encourage each other and let the body of believers be built up, right? So I want to encourage us just in that. So um, we're going to be in chapter 8. I'm going to read all 13 verses. And just a reminder, um, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and they are a group of Gentile believers. So they are not Jewish. They are coming from a very sexualized pagan culture within, this, this, that, within that town. And so they have a whole different bias or a whole different kind of cultural makeup than what Paul has been used to talking to before because he's, he's a Jew himself. And so he's talking to them, and that is his ministry is to the people who are Gentiles. Um, this group of people, they are somewhat smart. They're fairly educated. And what we see Paul addressing in this kind of early part of chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and all the way up to chapter 8, is that they are starting to veer on the side of their opinion is what matters. Their opinion is what should be kind of driving the church. They're kind of going away from the Holy Spirit, from God's truth, leading them in matters of the church. And that's causing division. There's Earlier on, he talks about how there's Apollos and Peter and Paul, and people are like, well, this person's right, that person's right. And it's causing fragmentation within the church. So Paul is essentially kind of clearing house and saying, like, no, 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 no. Like, it's not about our opinions. It's truly about what the Holy Spirit and the knowledge of God wants us to do within this church. And so that's kind of what he has been doing, and he does that again here in, um, in chapter 8. 
So I'm going to read from the Passion Translation, which I've really, been love, uh, I've really been loving to read recently. It's a newer translation. It is from the Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic languages. It is a legit uh, translation. And it's something that I feel like just has language that's just applicable to our current culture. And I just love reading that. And so um, I want to just read that. But before we do, I want to pray because I was reminded recently that when we read Scripture, when we read the Word of God, we are reading life, that God is breathing out his life through scripture. And I so easily, you know, have my, 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 my smartphone, read scripture and do all that stuff, which is good and great. But I just forget in my hurry of life that this is the word of God, that this is truth, that this is God speaking and it's living and it's alive. And so I want to just pray that our hearts are open for the Holy Spirit to minister to us through his word in this time together. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, we just come humbly before you and we submit ourselves to your truth and to your word. We submit ourselves to what you want to say. Not what we want to do or what we think is right, but what your word is saying. That not only would it challenge us, but it would encourage us as well. So Holy Spirit, speak through me this morning in all of our little context, at home watching the live stream or maybe we're watching this later on during the week. But Holy Spirit, would you just minister to all of us as we read your word and allow that to transform us. Praise your name. Amen. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Again, this is the, the, uh, the Passion Translation. This is Paul talking. Paul says, Now let me address the issue of food offered in sacrifice to idols. It seems that everyone believes his own opinion is right on this matter. How easily we get puffed up over our opinions. But love builds up the structure of our new life. Just like what Elsa demonstrated during that kidder mission. If anyone thinks of himself as a know-it-all, he still has a lot to learn. But if a person passionately loves God, he will possess the knowledge of God. Verse 4, concerning food sacrifices, offerings to idols, we all know that an idol is nothing, for there is no God but one. Although there may be many so-called gods in this world, and in heaven there may be many gods, lords, and masters, yet for us there is only one God, the Father. He is the source of all things, and our lives are lived for him, and there is one Lord, Jesus, the anointed one, through whom we and all things exist." So he's set in the supremacy of who God and Jesus are. Verse 7, But not everyone has this revelation. For some were formerly idolaters who consider idols as real and living. That's why they consider the food offered to that God as defiled, and their weak consciences become defiled if they eat it. Yes, we know that what you, uh, yes, we know that what you eat will not bring you closer to God, you are no better if you don't eat certain foods and no better if you do. But you must be careful that the liberty you exercise in eating food offered to idols doesn't offend the weak believers. For if a believer with a weak conscience sees you who have a greater understanding dining in an idol's temple, won't this be a temptation to him to violate his own conscience and eat food offered to idols? So... In effect, by exercising your understanding of freedom, 
You have ruined this weak believer, a brother for whom Christ has died. And when you offend weaker believers by wounding their consciences, in this way you also offend the anointed one, who is Jesus. Verse 13. So I conclude that if my eating certain food deeply offends my brother and hinders his advance in Christ, I will never eat it again. I don't want to be guilty of causing my brother or sister to be wounded and defeated. It's chapter 8. And there are so many good golden nuggets within all those verses. They can be like, highlight that, highlight that. I'm just going to highlight the whole chapter. It's just perfect and it's good. And I think as you read this, hopefully your mind is probably going like, oh, that makes sense in our current culture. That makes sense. That makes sense. Like, you're probably starting to even apply some of the things that we just read here. And that's, that's the point, right? That's the point that we're taking what Paul is, is talking about and also looking at it through what's happening right now. Well, I want to do a couple of things. I first off just want to give some of my quick thoughts when it comes to this section of Scripture. And this is something that I do when I read a larger portion of Scripture. I kind of lump a few verses together and then just say, here's what I think Paul is saying in this section of Scripture. And so if you're always struggling, like, I don't know how to, like, maybe pull out some of the truth of what's being said, here's a kind of a quick way to model that. So we're going to have it up on the screen behind. But I kind of just lump a few verses. So verses 1 through 3, this is something that I felt like I got from it, or that Paul is saying it. And it's this, that knowledge is not the end-all, be-all. It is love that strengthens and unites the church. The person who loves God by loving others is the one whom God recognizes, and we will gain the knowledge of God. It's kind of like one of the main thoughts that he is saying in there. Verses four through six, he resets the foundation that there is one God. They're in this culture where they're used to all these different gods throughout their temple worship, but he's like, no, no, no. It's about one God, the God of all gods, and he dismantles any of the incorrect pre-context from the church's cultural bias. So in that church, those people had some, some bias because they grew up in that culture. So he's saying like, no, 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 no. Like it's not about what you've always had. Remember, it's about the one true God. Now, verses seven through eight and nine through 13, another little section to kind of just synthesize. Um, the new Christians were kind of stuck with what had been their forever culture. They were kind of in this thing, and they were starting to slip back into what they thought was right, into what their opinion mattered, and that was kind of their culture, and they were slipping back into that. And so these new Christians were kind of stuck in that way, and the church was kind of modeling it not in the correct way. What needed to happen is, is care for those new Christians to be like, hey, you have these freedoms, but these new Christians, they don't understand everything. We have to love them. We have to care for them. We have to bring them back in so they feel good and they're not going to stumble and go against what they feel is right or wrong. And verses 9 through 13 is essentially saying that the freedoms we have will allow us non-sinful behaviors that might seem wrong to others but aren't. But just because they are not inherently sinful doesn't mean we should do X, Y, Z. So you're saying, hey, you're going to have these freedoms and... You have freedoms with, within Christ, as long as they're not sinful freedoms. But just because you can do them doesn't, doesn't mean that you should do that. doesn't mean you should live out those freedoms because it could cause others to stumble. So now, the first thought and the first point is this. It's more of a, a, a general question. What are we known as and who do people 
recognize you to be. This is coming from Paul's opening of the chapter, where Paul addresses pretty much two categories of people within the church in Corinth. Either they were erring on the side of their opinions being made known, and they were puffing up themselves on their opinions about all sorts of matters, primarily right here about food being sacrificed to idols, or you're a person who is living out the love of God. And he says, when you live out the love of God and you're living for God, you're, then you're going to get the knowledge of God. So he kind of makes it fairly black and white. Paul doesn't leave a lot of gray area in this matter, which makes it both really hard, but also really easy to start to say, like, this is what we should be doing. And that's Paul's kind of way of addressing the church in Corinth is, He's a lot of truth, but also with a lot of love at the same time. That's why we titled our series, The Church Growing in Truth and Love. Because Paul is hitting it here, but he also always brings in this, this notion of it's about loving others as well. And so are we a know-it-all? Are we more worried about getting our point across? Making sure that everybody understands that your opinion is right in fact or whatever it is. And just saying, well, this is my opinion, this is what it is. Are we more worried about that, letting that puff us up? Or are we worried about what does this person need and how can I love them? How can I care for them? How can I reach them? That's what Paul is addressing right here. So so what are we known as? This is is a self-reflection question. What are we known as from our posts on social media, our email threads, our Zoom conversations, Zoom chat conversations, whatever it is, however we are choosing to communicate during this age, what are we known as or who do people recognize you to be? And again, it's a self-revelation or self-reflection question with that. And this is what Paul is saying. Paul is hampering pretty hard on the church right now. He's, He's drawn a line. He's drawn a line. And again, Paul's addressing fairly educated, opinionated people. And I would say that's much like us in America. <laughs> we have so much information within our pockets with these phones. We can just Google this, Google that, and all of a sudden we have five doctorates. And we're like, I know everything, so listen to me when I post this post. <laughs> and we have opinions. And Paul is just saying, like, like stop. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. It's about your heart. It's about how you are loving the church and building the church up. Remember in other parts of his letter that he already addresses, he talks about how there's like these little factions of people that follow Apollos or Paul or Peter, and they're saying he's better than this and he does this and that. And everybody has their opinions about everything, and they're starting to get super divisive. Paul addresses legal issues where they are starting to sue each other. And he just says, who cares? Like, be cheated. Like, just be cheated. Don't take people to court. Like, show that you're going to actually just sacrifice your wants and needs and just say whatever. And Paul is addressing the church because they are just getting very puffed up. And I love that illustration that, that Elsa did where you start to get on this wobbly foundation. It's not strong. It's not solid. And Paul says, it is love that builds the church up. It is love that brings that firm foundation. 
Recently, archaeologists found another copy of Paul's letter to the church of Corinth. In just the last couple of months, they've re-dug up some areas in that area. And so I want to just um, reread the opening of this translation that they have. And it says this. Now let me address the issue of face masks in church. Wait. Oh, yeah. It seems that everyone believes his own opinion is right on this matter. How easily we get puffed up over our opinions. But love builds up the structure of our new life. If anyone thinks of himself as a know-it-all, he still has a lot to learn. But if a person passionately loves God, he will possess the knowledge of God. Paul is continually challenging the church to not ride high on their opinions, but to be known as a community of believers who love God and function on the sole purpose of such. And loving God directly means loving others. The greatest commandment, right? Love God, love others. And that's what Paul is bringing them back into. He's not getting in the, the muck and the mire of this is right, that's right, this is right. He's like, no, no, it's, it's a bigger conversation than that. Let's get back to the foundation of what God has called us to do and to live out our faith. Because when we love God and we cement who we are in the person of Christ, everything falls in line and true peace can exist and true unity within the church will exist as well. Again, Paul is bringing them back to alignment of God's heart, not their desires, not their wants, not their opinions. He's bringing them back into alignment of what is God's heart in this matter. Obviously, one of the big contexts that he talks about in this section of scripture is food offered to idols. Some translations say food sacrificed to idols. And there's some debate among scholars of what is actually taking place. Um, but what we do also know is this was not just an issue in Corinth. Paul addresses this issue to the church in Rome as well, talking on the same exact subject. This was, this was a thing within their culture. Much like in our culture of church, we have like things, like I mentioned face masks. Like it was a thing in the church. It wasn't just a singular church issue. This was happening in different churches that were separated by quite a bit of distance. And Paul is addressing this and he's approaching it with the same exact truth and heart, and that is to get realigned back to what God's heart is, and that is to first love others, not to let your opinion be the thing that drives it, but let God's heart drive it. And I think if, and I don't know exactly how things were probably said from the people being in, in, the, in the church in Corinth, I feel like whenever you watch an old movie about like biblical times, everyone has an English accent. I don't know if that's true or not. I doubt they all have English accents. That's just like the thing in Hollywood. Like, oh, is it an old movie? Make sure they have English accents. That makes it feel really old. I'm sorry to anybody who does actually have an English accent. You are not old or sound old. You sound intelligent more, more so. Um, but maybe it was like people were just within the church saying like, dude, you're an idiot to think that this steak shank from the temple is going to possess me. Like, grow up, you nerd. Like, I don't know what they were saying, like, within their church context. But what we do know is there was division, and there was huge, huge separation within the church about this issue. So again, Paul's giving direction. But what is so great is Paul, like, jukes the right and wrong 
of temple foods and basically says, you're both right and you're both wrong. <laughs> it's your heart that is wrong. That's what he's saying. And it's actually a little ugly. So let's talk about that instead. It, it reminds me, growing up, my, my, my brothers here uh, um, in, in the in-person gathering, like, we would, you know, like brothers, we would scuffle, and we'd get in trouble and all that stuff. And there'd be times where I'm like, oh, I'm going to tell mom, my case to get Luke a spanking is so good. Like, I got this, and then he did this, and he did this. And I come to my mom, and, you know, all that stuff. And I'm like, this is what happened, and Luke would have his side of the story. And my mom would be like, you're both getting spankings. What? Because we thought, like, you know, we had this opinion, this case, this thing. She's like, no, you guys' hearts are really bad, and you're actually dishonoring only each other, but you're dishonoring your father and I. We'd have a larger conversation and all those things. You know, we'd think we're going to get our way, like, oh, we're going we're to have the perfect thing. That's what Paul's doing here. He's, he's doing a mom juke. He's like, you're both wrong, you're both right. And he addresses the true issue of what is happening in the broader conversation. It's, again, about the heart motive and living out of the identity of being a Christian, living out of that, rather than trying to live into the right and wrong of being perfect. It's about living out of our identity in Christ, rather than trying to live into what we think is right or wrong. So again, Paul brings the church back to that thought and the truth of who God is. And he again just said, it doesn't matter what your opinions are. Even if they are 100% right, it does not matter because there are some circumstances that you need to love that person more than tell them, well, this is the truth, and you should do this and that, and it doesn't matter if you do this or that. That doesn't matter. You just need to love that person and actually care for their need in that moment more so than just to share that truth. Now, I'm not going to go into a deep dive on a lot of the hot-button topics of our culture because I think they deserve some time to unpack and to truly have conversation on. But I do think it's important to bring this truth of checking our heart with our actions and how our actions and speech could be right in fact, but far from the example and and a heart of God that shows that love to others. For instance, my spouse is having a hard day, long day. I come home. We're talking about it. She's expanding on it, and she's emotional. She's like, it was just a hard, hard day. If I said, well, everyone has a bad day, like, get over it. Like, it's fine. <laughs> like, that's true, right? But that would be the worst thing to say. I'd be like, duck, you know, for the, for the right jab. That would not be very loving in that moment. A friend shares that they lost their dad and are heartbroken, a response of, I'm sorry, but, but everyone's dad dies, would not help in that situation at all. That would be very unloving and not caring. A friend of color shares how they've been mistreated inside and outside of the church, that their other friends of color have experienced the same treatment. That leads them to think that their lives don't matter that they wished that their life, their black life, would matter in their context. If I respond with, well, all lives matter, that destroys that person to the core. Regardless of what you think about the organization, all that stuff, if a person who is a dear friend, a dear sister or brother in Christ, comes to you and says, 
I'm not being cared for right now. And we go across and say, well, we care about everybody. If you don't address that person right there, Paul is saying, like, shame on you, man. Like, you are hurting that person even more. And that's a hard thing because we all have our thoughts and our opinions about everything. But Paul says it's not about your opinions. It's about caring and loving for that person who needs care and love. We can be so right in our opinion that we miss the big picture of what it means to truly love God and to truly love people. The greatest commandment in all of Scripture. What are we as Christians called to do? It's not share our opinions 24-7 and then justify how right, how right we are in them. We are called to model the heart of God as his image bearers of Christ to truly love others. And that is what builds the church in unity. I challenged myself in the last few months to truly seek God and to seek perspective in everything that's happening within our culture. I feel like I've grown up in a certain way that I love and I am so grateful for, but it shapes what I see and it shapes how I view things and it shapes different things. And I've honestly been shocked to have conversation with, to hear the accounts of, and to hear from well-known pastors and leaders of color share their hearts and bring to light how they truly feel. And what they have basically said is we are being bulldozed over as a demographic when we truly need affirmation, care, and love. That's coming from pastors, leaders in big, well-known churches who have lived this life. Very true. And they're saying we just need affirmation, love, and care. So the more I listen and read and, and have conversation with our brothers and sisters of color who love Jesus and are not being cared for, and this is both inside and outside the church, the more I begin to understand that we have deep issues within the church that are causing division and are causing real hurt and pain. And honestly, divisions over a piece of fabric over our face, who cares? God cares deeper about the heart of all of us, way more than to have us just divide over a piece of fabric. I think God wants us to know that there are divisions so deep and so embedded in our hearts that we haven't even hit the surface, and we need to come together in unity. That can only happen when we first repent, but also that we seek the Holy Spirit to help us love and to seek his guidance and leading in all this time. We need time to self reflect. We are in such a busy culture right now that everything is quick, fast, do this, do that. I think the Lord is trying to tell us, slow down. Like maybe this pandemic was happening so that we literally slow down and have a time to allow the Holy Spirit to do some stuff in our hearts. What do we do instead? We speed up. <laughs> We're all in quarantine. Let's do things that are way quicker now and faster and we'll do this and that. And uh, I don't know if that's what we need to be doing. We need time to self-reflect. 
and what's happening in our context. So I want to finish with just three questions that will hopefully help, help us in this. Um, as we take time just to self-reflect and, um, yeah, just have some, have some different things going on. And so it is this. What has shaped or what is shaping my views? What has shaped or what is shaping my views? It takes time to have like a self-reflection. Like is it different media outlets? Is it a YouTube person or this or that? Like, like what, is, what is happening? Is it somebody's opinions that are shaping what I'm doing in my life? Or am I allowing the Holy Spirit to truly transform and to lead and guide every area of my life? Secondly, what do I need to repent of? Maybe there's some things you just need to say, Lord, this is an action that I need to just repent of or a thought process I need to repent of. What do we need to repent of? And repentance without repentance, which means a turning from, a metanoia, a change of the mind, is not true repentance. Repentance without repentance is not true repentance. And then lastly, I think we as a culture need to desperately put time in our lives for the Lord to speak to us. So lastly, God, speak to me. So we have what is shaped or what is shaping my views? What do I need to repent of? And then God, speak to me. It takes an honest time to stop, pause, and allow God to speak in prayer through his word. And again, Paul is not worried about what is right or wrong or the policies of this or that. He is pastoring the church. He is pastoring us with where our heart condition lies. And we need to take his leading. Paul is calling out the mature believer to apprehend our justified freedoms to show an example of humility and love for our other believers who are struggling, hurting, and need some true gospel love. So our last question to end on is this. What is your role as a believer in the body of Christ in our cultural moment? What is your role as a believer in the body of Christ within our cultural moment? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's never easy to live in whatever time period that we're living in, Lord. And I think we can all say 2020 is difficult. It is hard. It is confusing. It's frustrating. It's hurtful. It's angering. It's, it's all those words. But Lord, you are reminding us that we have a choice. We have a choice to either address all of those frustrating, hurtful, whatever it is, with our opinions or with love. And by that, allowing the Holy Spirit to first start a new work in our heart as we lead out. God, none of us are perfect. We need your Holy Spirit 24-7 to live, to live for you daily. And it only happens when we truly, by faith, 
invite the Holy Spirit in to help us love those who are so hard to love, to pray for those who need prayer, to submit to your word and to die to our own desires and our own thoughts and our own opinions so that then we can move forward on the foundation, the firm foundation of your love. Jesus, encourage us in this moment, challenge us, Lord. Let us throughout this week take time to reflect and to just hear from you. So Lord, I just pray that even anyone who's here in, the, in, the, in, the, in, in our gathering or at home watching, that Lord, you'd remind us just to pause. If it's even for a minute, if we're driving in the car or on a walk or whatever, that we just pause no music, no podcast, no nothing, and just say, Lord, speak to me. Here I am. That we just take a moment to slow our lives down for your Holy Spirit to minister to us. God, we love you. We give you grace. You give us grace so we can give that freely to others, Lord. Jesus, we love you. Amen. 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 All right. Well, thank you so much for being a part of just what we do here at church and at home with, with our live stream. And we really want to encourage you all, use your journals. Get in those environments to dialogue on these scriptures. We're going to be talking about chapter 8 this next week. Truly dig into it. And take that moment to allow the Holy Spirit to just bring some things up and to mold and shape you into who we are as Christ followers. So, all right, remember, Jesus loves you. So does the rest of our CFC staff. <laughs> all right, see you guys later.